This is H10 Hanshin Tigers English News. Global H10 Nation, you endured a long, bumpy Tigers ride in 2022. The off-season is upon us, which means we can spend time on non-baseball hobbies. But don't lie to yourself. You love baseball. That's why you're here. So let's listen to an interview I conducted with Shane Barclay, owner of Japan Ball, a company that makes hundreds of baseball fans' dreams come true by offering baseball-centered tours of Japan, the Dominican Republic, Europe, and in the near future, a whole lot more. Shane and I talk about his fascinating history in baseball, how he became a fan of Japanese baseball, how he worked with MLB, got involved with Japan Ball, and also some of his thoughts on some of the NPB stars right now, and a whole lot more. Now, this interview was conducted back in April 2022, but most of the content here is still relevant now and will continue to be so for years to come. So check it out. Who's in the chair? Who's tea talking to? Who's in the chair? Maybe veteran, maybe new. Who's in the chair? Who's in the chair? Who's in the chair? We've got a special guest for you today, ladies and gentlemen, and this guest of ours is actually the very first patron to take advantage of the guest slot on the podcast. And I would like to welcome Mr. Shane Barclay, who is the owner and the man behind currently Japan Ball. It's an awesome uh, tour group. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're also just going to talk about good old baseball and all sorts of things. So Shane, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. And uh, I should I should put this right out uh, up front. Shane and I have known each other for what, maybe four years now or so, three, four years. Yeah, I think 2018 um, was probably when we met. Yeah, it was around then. And uh, I was already kind of a part of Japan Ball at the time I was writing the newsletter and helping with some of the tours. And Shane, tell us, when did you take over from Bob Bavese? So I, I started helping out in 2018. Um just kind of as a helping out Bob, I was actually looking to, I had left major league baseball, uh, my job there. And I was looking to start doing tours to the Dominican Republic, really with teams like bringing high school and college teams. So I talked to Bob through our mutual, uh, well, through his brother, Bill, who I worked with. And I said, Hey, Bill, can, um, can you connect me with Bob? Because I want to learn about the baseball tourism business. Like I, I want to, you know, I, I want to learn about what he does as I know he does this thing to Japan. So Bob said, Hey, why don't you come along and help me? Um, and, uh, cause I need some help and that, that'll be how you learn about my business in this area. I said, yeah, that sounds fun. Let's do it. So I went to Japan and, uh, turns out that he was kind of looking to have someone take over and uh, after things went well, he, he let that be known. Like, hey, you know, I was kind of thinking uh, maybe that we could make something of this with Trevor. I'm sure we'll get into it, but you can relate to Bob's approach <laughs> with yeah, kind of yeah, uh, sure. testing you out without you knowing it. Uh, and that led to January 1st, 2020 was the official date that I became the owner of the company, uh, which was um, basically two and a half weeks or two and a half months before the whole world shut down due to COVID. So not exactly the best timing there. Um, but yeah, so I took over, uh, it's been a couple of years now. Um, unfortunately haven't even been to Japan yet as, uh, the guy in charge, but I have led three tours or at least helped out on three tours to Japan with Japan ball, uh, when it was still technically, um, Bob's business to run. 
Great. So let's let's uh, backtrack a little bit and just give a bit of history to our listeners in case they're not aware. So Japan Ball has been around since at least I think 1999. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So and Bob Bavese started this as a way of helping people to come over to Japan, primarily from America, but really you're welcome to to join from anywhere. Uh, come to Japan, take in some ball games, um, and not only you know the, the tour is focused on baseball. It's it's definitely baseball centric, but there are definitely pockets in there where you can go and experience other parts of Japanese culture. Um, and so all the tickets and all the hotels and also the rail passes are all kind of set up by Japan Ball. All you got to do is arrange your own flight, correct? Yep, that's right. Yeah. Just show and, up and, and we'll take care of it from there. Yeah. And then from there, you you join the tour and you make your trip to Japan what you want to make of it. I mean, obviously, people joining this tour want to watch baseball, but you can do all sorts of things, explore all sorts of areas and make all sorts of friends. And so I've only been parts part of the tour a couple of times um as a guide but i just always loved meeting new people and you could just see like they had this excitement about them uh being in japan and taking in the ballparks and learning about this awesome game so let's jump right into shane so we're, we're kind of hopping all over the place here but how did you first get interested in japanese baseball or or is there a story there yeah, there's definitely a story there. Um, my dad worked in the semiconductor industry. I, I grew up in Cupertino, California, which is like the heart of Silicon Valley. And, uh, you know, he had a typical, uh, I had a typical upbringing and, you know, that kind of world. And so my dad would always be going to Asia on business trips. And whenever he went to Japan, he would bring back uh, baseball cards for me, Japanese baseball cards. Nice. And this was probably, I think that probably the first time he did that was 1993. And I know that because probably in 2003 or so, I looked through all those cards and I found an Ichiro rookie card in there. What? <laughs> yeah. Nice. And, um, and uh, so he would bring back those cards. Uh, I remember one year he brought back, I still have this keychain. It's a Hideki Matsui keychain. And uh, he's like, there's this guy everyone calls him Godzilla. And he's just like, he's like a God over there. He's the biggest star. And like everywhere I went in Tokyo, I kept seeing Matsui things. So he brought me back some of that. So that was like my introduction. And then um, uh, Nomo coming over to the Dodgers in 96 really was where I like started to put things together where I was actually like watching a Japanese player in the big leagues play. Um, and I was like, I was a, Giants fan. I still am a Giants fan, San Francisco Giants. Thank you. And um, <laughs> <laughs> want to be clear about that. Um, and he is probably still the only Dodger I've ever really been a huge fan of. Um, he is just, I was caught up in Nomo Mania for sure. Um, so that was my intro. Um, and that, like, as a kid, really got me <clears throat> intrigued by it and kind of always was, um, you know, of course, following the Japanese guys that came here. And um, me, I'm of Asian descent as well. So like there's that connection. And then eventually I worked in international baseball operations at the commissioner's office um, for Major League Baseball. And uh, that was when I really like started to get super um, involved directly from a business perspective or, or from a baseball operations perspective in Japan. Um, as far as just like learning about how it works there and really familiarizing myself with the league. Um, 
And then working on the World Baseball Classic, of course, Japan plays a huge role in that event from hosting in it to playing in it, obviously a big role in both ways. So that's uh, where it really kind of took the next step up. Um, and then, of course, culminating in uh, the story I started started off with, with helping out Bob in 2018 and then eventually taking over Japan Ball. Very cool. Which was the uh, the first WBC you were involved with? That would have been 2013. Okay, so it wasn't so Japan won in 06 and 09. Yeah, exactly. So, I see. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember the first uh, NPB game that you watched, either on TV or like on on video or live? Like, wh- when was that? Um, I don't think I ever watched one on TV until I attended in um in 2018 and uh you know we did the i did i probably went to eight games or something that year i didn't do the full tour um but the first game i went to uh was at uh yokohama or sorry at jingu um we did jingu and yokohama i think back-to-back nights Uh and uh i was just like whoa, this is next level. Like I've never, I went to WBC in Taiwan and that was like, it was Taiwan versus Korea. So it was really intense. Uh-huh. And that was my first like really Asian baseball experience. Uh-huh. Um, and that my mind was blown, but that was like, okay, it's national teams in an international event. So I, I kind of chalked it up to like that. And then I go to an NPB game and I'm like, whoa, they do this every night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mid-season, regular season game, nothing's on the line really, but it's it's a party, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So fun. Yeah. So you, you took in the tour there, and and that's kind of interesting that it took a while for you to actually get well, watch your first game and, and get to your first game. But and um you had previous to that obviously been in the Dominican and taking in a whole bunch of games there, I'm assuming what would you say is kind of one of the big differences between baseball in the DR, either, either from a fan perspective or on the field between baseball in the DR and baseball in, in Asia or Japan specifically? Mm, that's, that's a good question. Cause there's certain things that jump out that are really similar. And then like certain things that like just couldn't be more different, you know, like the similarities is definitely in the energy of the crowd, like being, you know, all game long, it doesn't matter the score. Like if your team scores a run, you're going wild. Like it, it's a reason to celebrate, even if it doesn't mean that like your team's going to win the game, you know, like right. it's a, it's a reason to have to just be joyous, you know? And uh, in the DR, it's like another similarity is there's definitely plenty of live music played by the fans. Um, the the difference though, in, in the fans is that, there is um, not a lot of organization in the Dominican Republic in general and not in the baseball stadium at all. Um, you know, it's uh, as you know, in Japan, like everything is coordinated, everything is clean. You know, the people f- are flowing in natural ways when they're entering and exiting the stadium. Like the DR is like none of that. Um and it, it makes it fun. And it's, you know, both of them are amusing in their own way for an outsider. Um, and I think there's pluses and minuses to both, but yeah, that's definitely, um, you know, whenever I like, for me, it's all about the fan experience. Like, and, uh, that's what the draw is in Japan. That's what the draw is in the DR. Um, 
so yeah, yeah, I, I think if that answers your question. <laughs> No, that's good. And and it's interesting. Yeah. So I, I just imagined as you were talking, like a first time fan to either of those games. And I'm not trying to say like Japan, you know, has a leg up on the DR at all because I haven't been to a game there. But it almost feels like if you if you were going to a game for the first time, whether it's your first baseball game ever or just your first in that country, I feel like if you came to Japan, you could probably catch on to what you're supposed to do within the first few minutes. But if <laughs> everyone's kind of cheering in their own way and there's no organization and you go there. I think you would just spend most of the game like people watching well, besides yeah. watching the game, but you're just like, okay, well, all these different cheering styles are all these people doing these things. What is that guy saying? Or, you know, how, how are they coordinating their music or whatever? But here it's just very easy to see what's going on, who's doing what and how to join in the party, I guess, if you will. Totally. I think that, um, you know, just putting myself in that place of like first time there first time at the ballpark in, in either of these countries. Um, one thing that is in common with both is the fans will love the fact that you're there to watch their team uh, as a foreigner, yeah. you know, like, and that's, I mean, I don't want to get too far off on a tangent, but I just think that going to a, a baseball game or a sporting event is arguably the best way to experience a new culture. And largely because of that, because the people there have their guard down Mm -hmm. And they're going to be so welcoming and they're going to help you along. They're going to ask questions. They're going to want to know why you're there and they're going to want to help make you comfortable. And um, another similarity that is something that you can't get in the U S or in case you are a bit uncomfortable, don't know what to do is in Japan and the DR are both uh, countries where they'll serve you a cocktail in your seat. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so it, you know, you're onto something though, with what you said, like, I feel like not only is sports a good window into culture, but it's also a good way for the outsider, if you will, to find their niche and to blend in with the culture. Like mm -hmm. if, you know, my first several years in Japan, if I told people that, yeah, I like baseball, I'm a fan of the Blue Jays or the Twins, which I vaguely am. Um, but you know, that would, that was all that I had besides fantasy baseball, but you know, people would just kind of nod their head and say, oh, okay, good for you. But if I say I'm a Tigers fan, we're friends right away. Yeah. And whether it's at the ballpark or elsewhere, you know, in the classroom, in my case, as a teacher, if I say I'm a Tigers fan, students will come and talk to me afterwards and be like, oh, you know, I like the Giants. What do you think of the Giants? Or I like the Hawks. And, and it, it still gives you that opportunity to build bridges and make connections. And so that's one of the things that I love about, um, pro sports and and i've really loved about um catching on and starting to follow the tigers here in japan so um let's talk a little bit just a little bit more about the dr because uh you did say that you were working uh with mlb which i think is another cool story in and of itself but then was it mlb that took you to the dominican or was that something separate uh yeah it was um if well at first i studied abroad there <clears throat> I, when i was in college I was, I wanted to study abroad. My brother and sister studied abroad and they both said, like, you got to do it. And uh, so I started looking up countries to go to. And um, it, it occurred to me, I was like, why don't I go to a tropical, like Caribbean country? Like who, who wouldn't want to spend a semester there? So I said, I narrowed it down to like, you know, kind of islands. And, uh, and, uh, and then I was looking at the DR and I was like, wait, I can go to a country where baseball is their national passion um, and be on a tropical Caribbean beach the whole time. Like, please sign me up. So that's, <laughs> so I did that and I did it 
I, I wanted to work in baseball. Like I wrote my college application essays about working in baseball. Like that was my goal, but I didn't really know how to do it. Like we didn't have a sports management major or anything like that. So I, I knew that learning Spanish would help. And I assumed that going to the DR where major league baseball is a big presence and there's just a baseball culture, I figured that would help. So that was my motivation for going there. And then, um, it just so happened that my last semester in school, uh, I, there was a sports business class, just a one-off class that was like, um, not part of a major or anything like that. And, uh, Sandy Alderson, um, who's a longtime GM of the Mets and, and the A's and president of the Padres, all sorts of stuff was my teacher. And nice. so I, I like really worked hard in that class. Um, even though it was just like a filler class, uh, a for fun class and, um, got really lucky because, um, well, first he, he kind of helped guide me on how to get an internship. I got an internship with the diamondbacks right out of college. And then during that time, he was hired by major league baseball to run their international operations, but really just with a focus on the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause that's the only place where they have a baseball operations office. And so I was like, as soon as that happened, I contacted Sandy and I was like, look, I studied abroad in, in the DR and I just got a year of internship in my belt. Like, please <laughs> can you give me a job? And he, and he was actually looking to hire. They wanted to bring a couple Americans down there for a specific role. And, um, so I got that job uh, in 2010 and lived there for a couple of years uh, doing kind of amateur, mostly all stuff that has to do with amateur baseball and prospect development and also just kind of uh, getting some organization and reining in the kind of wild, wild west culture of baseball development down there. Um, so, yeah, I, I did that for a couple of years and then eventually uh, moved to the New York office for six years in the same department. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the story of how I got to the Dominican. It almost sounds like that could be an entire podcast episode on its own because just, I mean, life in the Dominican, um, and, and especially working in baseball is just so intriguing to me. Real quick question about that. Did you ever, like, were you ever at a game where a particular player caught your eye and you're like, this guy, he's definitely going to make it. And then now he's in the majors or anything like that. Yeah, there was, yes. Um, so as far as a game, actually, the, this one is a little bit unexpected. Um, the player that made the biggest impression to me uh, was Ozzy Albies, who's actually from Curacao. Um, I think it's Curacao or Aruba, one of the Dutch Indies. Um, and he was coming to the DR to play in a tournament for, uh, I think it was 15 and under, 16 and under, um, through the RBI program, like, MLB as RBI is kind of like little league. Um, and this dude was like probably weighed 120 pounds. Um, but he carried himself like, like a big leaguer and he was making diving plays and like had a bunch of hits and, um, just, you could tell he's just the leader of his team. And, uh, I remember thinking, <laughs> this is why I'm not a scout. <laughs> I was like, this guy is like, he doesn't have, he's, he doesn't have it cause he's too small. Like he's, and he still is tiny. Um, and I, you know, a good scout 
will know that like if you're a ball player, you're a ball player. Um, and you have to be a really special one if you don't have, you know, the, the physical gifts, but I should know looking back now, it makes me realize, okay, when you see someone like that, who's just has such a commanding presence on the field, like that's something that could overcome also. And we know, we see it in the, in NPB, we see it at the highest levels of baseball guys who don't look like they, they get off the bus and you think they're the bat boy. And then you see them on the field and you're like, this guy's a stud. Um, the years I was down there, there wasn't any super big prospects coming up. Uh, just for whatever reason, it was like a blip from 2010 to 2012 where the big prospects, like I can name a bunch of them that, um, were really impressive. Nomar Masato was the, by far the biggest prospect. He had a record for biggest signing bonus and, um, he just didn't really, you know, he got to the big leagues and he, he did pretty well, but like no one really became a star. I think the one hmm. guy who I saw down there that became a star that was Dominican, um, was Wander Franco, who was much younger and we were running a prospect league, um, as a way to kind of create a more neutral showcase for, for players. Cause there was a lot of corruption in the way players were presented and also scouted. So we put on this league and we kept hearing about Wander, who I think that he's one of three brothers named Wander. Huh. <laughs> um, but we kept hearing that the youngest one was this amazing player. I think that he was 12 turning 13. And we kept trying to get him to come out and play. And we saw him work out at practice. And he was just this tiny kid um, that looked so young, but he, he was a stud. And his dad didn't let him come out and play because um, – he was like, look, I can't have my 13 year old facing guys throwing 96 and like get hit in the head and, you know, be messed up. Like he's like, it's not safe to have him play in this setting. Right. And we said, fair enough. You're probably right. Maybe we should back off on, <laughs> we wouldn't want to be responsible for that either, but he was probably the biggest prospect down there. Um, and, and now he just signed like a $190 million contract as like a 20 year old. So he's wow. panned out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll say it, so getting back to one of your earlier points though, um, I wouldn't fault you and say, you know, this is why you're not a scout or anything because like, look at the major league, uh, scout scouting reports on Ichiro before he came over to NPB or before he came yeah. over to MLB. I mean, a, very few people had any expectation that he was going to do anything and look how he turned out. So, you know, like there are definitely exceptions where guys will fall through the cracks. I think everybody knew that Otani was going to be something special. And even, you know, you look at reports of like uh, Roki Sasaki, who threw that perfect game uh, just recently, you know, everybody knew right from the time that he was in like junior high that this guy is going to be a stud. So, uh, you know, there are the uh, can't miss and there are the ones that uh, nobody really hits on. But uh, speaking of Roki Sasaki, let's talk about that a little bit since it is at least now like we're we're on. What is it today? April 16th. And this was last Sunday. Uh, Sasaki with the perfect game. Did you get to see some highlights of that? And what are your impressions and thoughts? Yeah, I, I just watched highlights. Exactly. Like you said, I mean, it was. Uh, like it's almost like I made a comment on social media that you, that you expanded on. It's like, you could go on forever about like, obviously perfect game in itself is amazing, but like all of the details of how he went about it is like arguably more amazing. And uh, I know they have like ways of analytical ways of like a game score from the pitcher. Like I wouldn't be right. surprised if I was using those methods, like maybe the most dominant game a pitcher has ever thrown 
in any level of, you know, with being MLB and professional baseball. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, you know, just the sheer dominance is unreal to just be playing at a higher level than everyone else. And what, what I love about it is that, you know, being in the business I am and like, we're always trying to kind of teach baseball fans, American baseball fans about the Japanese game. And I love that I sign on to MLB.com or ESPN.com and he's mm-hmm. on the headlines there. And um, it's cool seeing Shinjo in the headlines as it's bringing attention to NPB, but I'd much yeah. rather have, you know, Sasaki who's throwing this unreal perfect game yes. um, and showing the world-class talent. I'd rather have that. I'll take Shinjo. I'll, any PR is good PR. Like he's still, he, he's making people learn about NPB. Um, but yeah, you know, I love the national attention and, and how he's helping give credibility to, um, to NPB. A couple of thoughts on that. First of all, uh, you are right. I think it's the Bill James pitching score or something like that. And the highest up until this point was like a 105 by Kerry Wood. And Sasaki's number was higher than that. So really? uh, definitely the go. highest one. Yeah. Um, so as I said, like we're it's Saturday morning here, the 16th. And tomorrow, Sasaki is scheduled to face none other than Shinjo, Big Boss, and the fighters. And speaking of... Uh, I'm not saying he's trying to steal the headlines or anything, but the big boss uh, went on record as saying, I'm going to have all my guys bunt against Sasaki and see if we can get somebody (laughs) on base, (laughs) which I don't think he's going to go through with. But, you know, in some ways, this just came to me and and it might be too controversial for people to uh, accept. But in some ways, big boss is almost like in some ways, Donald Trump of NPV, like where some of the the things that he says are just so outlandish and you're like, he can't possibly be serious. He can't go through with that. And then he's like, yeah, hold my beer. <laughs> I almost yeah. feel like Shinjo might actually do it. I wouldn't put it past him. He's done a lot of interesting things so far. Um, so we'll see what happens this Sunday and we'll see what happens with, with Shinjo and the fighters. Um, but like you said, it's great that Japan is getting all this attention, not only, of course, uh, or sorry, NPB is getting all this attention, um, of course, in Japan, but then also worldwide for things like um, having a charismatic manager and then also having an outstanding player. One more quick question for you about uh, Sasaki before we jump into uh, a little bit of maybe Hanshin related stuff. A lot of people, I see a lot of comments on social media from MLB fans. And when they see videos of Sasaki, the first question and the most common question is, when is he being posted? What are your thoughts on the posting system? And what do you like, would you personally, both as a fan and as, uh, as Japan Ball's owner, I guess, would you like to see Sasaki in the majors ASAP? Or do you want to see him kind of like slowly build his uh, legendary status up in Japan? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll say this selfishly, I'd like to see him in the US because then I could watch him more easily. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, you asked me to put on my Japan ball hat. Like, I want those guys to come over because with every, before Hideo Nomo, people didn't even know they played baseball in Japan. Right. Like, like it was, a lot of people heard about Sadaharu O, but they they probably didn't know anything other than like, oh, he has the most home runs. Many that's like all they knew, you know. Right. Like, and um, that's one of the reasons why Bob started JapanBall.com, and um, was because people would look they'd they'd hear there is 
whatever team this guy was on and they'd look him up and you, you know, at, you know, ask Jeeves or Yahoo, or whatever you're looking up at that time, you couldn't find anything in the English language, hardly anything, at least on these right. teams and players. So um, for me, I love the idea, you know, with Otani coming over early, like all of a sudden everyone is like, Oh, I hear there's a team called the ham fighters. I'm like, okay, well, it's not the ham fighters, but I'm glad you know that, you know, yeah. and, and Darvish also played for them. And so for me, I like them coming over uh, from a like selfish perspective for those two reasons, you know, being able to watch them. And, it, and it's at the end of the day, good for business. That said, like, I obviously am a big fan of Nippon professional baseball and I like it when guys like, I don't know, Yuki Yanagita are like, I'm going to sign here and I'm going to stay. And like, I'm a big star. I'm a, fan, a character that, you know, draws fans to the ballpark. And um, I don't need to go there. Like I'm happy here because what you don't want is there to be like any sort of talent drain, you know, like right. that can't be good for anyone. Um, so, you know, I, I, if I was born and raised in Japan, I'd probably want him to stay. Cause you just, you know, you want to keep your guys here, but you know, that's what people said about, you know, that's what they always say with them when the guys come, go over, they're a huge fan and they love seeing, seeing the Japanese guys flourish in America. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough question. What do you, what you, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it. Well, I think it kind of works both ways and you raised a good point, but you know, like when, uh, for example, Otani goes over to America, all of a sudden you've got this great increase in, uh, a uh, Angels fans here in Japan and a lot more attention going to MLB, particularly, of course, Otani. And so on one hand, like you want a talent like Otani to be on uh, national TV here in Japan at a time where people can watch the games and cheer for a more local team. But at the same time, you're seeing one of your you know, best talents going on to a global stage or going to, you know, the most competitive baseball league in the world and excelling there. I mean, it's definitely a source of pride and you know that your country and, you know, your team, if, if your team was the fighters, your hometown, if you're from um, uh, Iwate, um, is getting all this extra attention. And there's a lot of good to come out of that as well. So it kind of goes beyond the baseball field to me in some ways, but then at the same time, like you were saying, you don't want that talent drain. And I think it's been the case in Japan for decades now, where if you talk to the foreign players that were in Japan uh, playing, um, they could name you at least a couple teammates that, and then they'd say, yeah, this guy would have been a star in the majors if he had had a chance to go over. And that's still the case to this day. And I'm kind of glad, like you said, with Yanagita, and then you look at like Sakamoto and Sugano for the Giants, well, I wish they would leave because I hate the Giants <laughs> and I'd love for them to be off the team. But, you know, you look at other guys, even like uh, Tetsuto Yamada for the Swallows and, and all these other guys, right? Like they definitely would have a shot at stardom in America. But I think um, there's, there's the risk factor for them as well. I mean, they are the big fish in the little pond right now. And do they really want to, to take that step into the ocean? Right. It's, it's a challenge for them. And a lot for a lot of them, it doesn't end up being a success story. I mean, you look at Tsuyoshi Nishioka, who talks about him in America anymore? Who remembers his name anymore? You know, you, you really have to um, do something incredible to be remembered by the MLB fans. Like even look at Fukudome, Kosuke Fukudome, who had a great start with the Cubs and he wasn't 
terrible, at least from what I can remember. He he definitely did not match the salary he was given or the expectations people had, but he was not like an awful player. And yet, when now that Seiya Suzuki is starting to excel, people are like, well, he's definitely no Fukudome. I mean, we're glad to have him. And so, you know, a star, a, a guy as big as Fukudome, who had a great career with the Dragons before MLB, had a great stint with the Tigers after MLB. You know, that that time where he tried his luck with the Cubs and then the White Sox, I think, um, it didn't pan out for him. You know, so it is yeah. a risk. He, he, yeah. he went from being a superstar to being uh, kind of the butt end of jokes and then back to being, well, the, the, uh, the prodigal son who came back. But it's a, even, tough, it's a tough decision, I think. It, like, if you had a crystal ball, obviously you would make the decision easier. I think that yeah. like the, the pride you talk about in seeing the guy succeed, I think in that case, it makes it worth it, right? Like, you, like you said, if you're from Donnie's hometown or if you're a Fighters fan, like you're so proud to see him over there. Like he's still your, like, you still think of him as yours, you know? And, and now you're seeing him doing it like on the biggest stage possible and improving, you know, representing the whole country uh, beyond, you know, and every subdivision below that, that he represents like that's a really cool thing, but you just don't know if it's going to work out. And it's not because there's anything wrong with the ball player. It's just, there's such a unique set of circumstances that have to click and personality traits that have to click for a guy, for an American guy going over there or a Japanese guy coming here to the U S like it, you can have everything you need to be a successful ball player in your home country. And for what, whatever it is, that doesn't click just right or something about your personality or the, or the circumstances that you're in, it doesn't work out. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, it's, you don't want to become the Fukudome. That's like all of a sudden the, the one that people like joke about, about how much of a failure he was, you know, when, when he didn't need to take that risk. Um, even Shinjo is kind of, you know, he, he didn't really do that much here. And then he, no. he came back and helped out your team. Right. So like, it was like, was that worth it? You know, I don't, I don't know. Like, um, and if, if people had a crystal ball and could see, obviously like, it, I think it makes it easy to decide, but um, that risk is such a big one to take. Yeah. I, I definitely would agree with you on that. One of the things I respect about Shinjo is that like, I mean, he, he seems to always have a positive outlook on life. And so even though his three years in America weren't what he expected or what people hoped, I mean, I'm sure he hoped it was going to be longer than three years. This is a guy that just keeps moving forward. He's got ideas for how to make his life meaningful yeah. beyond um, stardom on the baseball field. And so I, I don't know, I'm, I'm as much as sometimes his antics these days or his quotes uh, kind of bug me, I still also respect the heck out of this guy because he's just going out there living life the way he wants to. And I think he's going to end his life with no regrets, you know, when, when that yeah. time comes. So, yeah. Great call. Yeah. I have a question. I have a question about Shinjo for you. So Let's go. I, I think, and I, you know, I haven't been following him as closely, uh, you know, throughout his whole career. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that he's partly assuming this persona because, okay, it's a team that's not very good and they want to sell tickets and whatever, you know, the, the typical reasons. But I think that it might be in another level in that he knows his team is not supposed to win this year. He knows a development season. He knows his guys are young. Baseball is a hard sport and it's a long season, especially when you're struggling. If, if everyone's talking about him, then the, the press isn't so worried about like, they're not pressing on the players so much and, and the fan, 
it's just less pre- he basically he's taking pressure off the players. I think mm-hmm. he's doing that right now for sure. What I'm curious about is do you think that as the team, hopefully if things go well as they're expecting them to, the players develop, they get better, the team gets some momentum going into their new ballpark and the players really start deserving to have their own spotlight. Do you think that he'll give them that and maybe start to step back a little bit? Or is he just always going to be like this? That's a really tough question. Like part of me wants to say that this is all calculated and that his plan is to definitely kind of back off once the players are, you know, to the point where they can step up on, you know, center stage and make that name for themselves and be, uh, be the, the, the focus, be in the spotlight that he'll step back. But I also kind of feel like part of his personality needs that, you know, yeah. like you, you see that in a lot of, it's not just, it's not just athletes, but you see it in actors and you see it in, in singers and, you know, anyone that's kind of in that realm, there's a certain amount of ego and maybe a certain amount of need for attention yeah. and maybe his life would just like, I don't know how he would live if he was not in the spotlight, if you will. Like I know. So between, um, between his retirement with the fighters in the early two, like in the first decade of the 2000s, I forget what year between then and um, his return to the fighters, he was living like in Bali or something like that. But he still always came back to Japan. Anytime that he came back to Japan, he was on TV, he was in the spotlight and so on. And I think, you know, there were even a lot of TV crews that went down to to Bali to feature him. So I think he needs it. Yeah. I don't know how he would handle it if he were just like um, not the, the center of attention. That being said, I mean, just because of who he is and his presence, even if he tries to give some of the spotlight or all of the spotlight away, I don't think the media will allow it. You know, he's, he's a quotable guy. He's a flashy guy and that won't change regardless of how good the team is. So, yeah, Yeah, I can't imagine he would ever like, you know, step into the shadows. Um, But if he does show a conscious effort to try to, you know, give the players more of a platform as they deserve it, then that'll be something that I would really respect him for. And, and, and it would turn out to be a, a really savvy move. Of course, yeah, I think I agree with you. Like, you can't be doing the things you're doing and, and that, that he's doing right now and, and not kind of need that, as you say. Right. Just as a side note, at his presser, when he when he first became the manager, he kind of said one of his goals, for, well, first of all, he said his goal for this year is not to win the pennant. He said, I'm not trying to win the pennant this year. But he also said, one of my goals is to make four or five of my players uh, kind of give them celeb status. So he wants them to get the national attention, not just of the baseball media, but of Japan. So, I mean, that definitely is one of his kind of hidden agendas within being a baseball manager, which is pretty fun. Yeah. Okay. Before we, uh, before we, uh, before we go too far here, let's branch off a little bit and talk about um, Japan ball tour a little bit. And I want to ask you a few questions about your, a little bit further about, about uh, things in PB. So, there are possible plans of doing a couple of tours in Japan um, in the near future, correct? Yeah, I mean, we got them on the calendar. It's just yeah. uh, if the government will let us in. Right. And so, um, but um, so you've been on the tour before, right? And um, I, I wanted to ask you this right off the top and I didn't, but what is your favorite baseball stadium um, on the tour or, or in Japan? I will go with – I'm going to go with Jingu Stadium. Okay. Um, 
I think just it made a big impression on me early on. And I love the idea of like kind of being, you know, living down the street from the big bad giants. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I, and, you know, and it just, my first time there was just so fun. And I feel like every time I saw them play, Ballantine was hitting a home run and, you know, the umbrella dance. And um, I love the, the old ballparks. Um, so yeah, I really like Jingu stadium a lot. Um, and then uh, the carp, you know, going to zoom, zoom stadium is I think objectively the nicest ballpark. And, and I love the view from up top up there. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I love the walk to the ballpark, the sea of red coming from the train station. Um, and then you can see the Shinkansen going by in the outfield and, and it's just like great views and kind of the ballpark just has a little more character architecturally than the Mm. other ballparks. So I'd say those two are my favorite. Okay. The correct answer was Koshien, but we'll accept those as well. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I I did want to talk to you a little bit about Koshien though, um, simply because a, as we know, that's where the national baseball uh, high school baseball tournament is, but then also it's home of, of our Hanjin Tigers um, being H10. Um, Tell us your thoughts about Koshien stadium. How many times have you been and do you have any particular memories or any impressions? Yeah, I've only been twice, I think, because the first, I, like I said, I've led three tours and the first one I didn't go. Um, I mean, I love Koshien. Like, don't get me wrong. I think I'd probably put it number three on that list. Um, I mean, I, I obviously the impression with the dirt infield, like just that unique trait in itself makes it a really cool ballpark, right? Like when you have something that no other ballpark in all professional baseball has, that's really cool. So like that first impression, I love, I love the history of it. Um, and then the fans, you know, like the fans have always, I haven't been enough to like really get the character of the fans down. Like by know their reputation and I've seen it and I've gotten a taste of it. I want to go, I can't wait to go more so I can get even more of a taste of it. Um, but I mean, yeah, I love the ballpark. I love going to any ballpark with history and um, I'm could not be more excited to fingers crossed that the government lets us in, go to a Koshien high school game in August for our tour. That is going to be a ton of fun while you're here. Uh, just a little plug for, I guess for the team or for Hanjin itself, but um, they revamped the museum, the Koshien stadium museum. It is outstanding. So if you do bring the tour here, I mean, you got to make that part of the tour. I think, I think it will, because it's right there, right beside the ballpark. So, um, and I will gladly uh, guide you guys through the museum when you come. Well, I was already thinking that, that you're going to be our guide anyway. <laughs> so yeah, hundred percent. And I think that like, the more I go there, the more I will um, like, you know, it may leapfrog Jingu as my preferred old ballpark, especially after going to the high school tournament, hopefully. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't mind, I don't mind if you have a tie up there as well, uh, just because I'm just like yourself. I mean, I'm a fan of baseball and I happen to do H10, but um, just between you and me and, and the listeners, it's mostly because I moved to this area. If I had moved to Tokyo, I wouldn't be a Tigers fan right now. Yeah. So yeah. it's just, you know, it's the local team and I do, I'm so glad that I moved here and that I'm a fan of the Tigers, but um, beyond that, I mean, I think I just fell in love with baseball in the whole. And so I've never been to Jingu and I'm going to have to check it out one day. And I'll probably love that ballpark as well, because I think there's something special about the old vintage ballparks, much like, I mean, there's kind of like, 
Uh, the new ballparks are special, but the old ball ballparks are also equally special. And so the two that are definitely on the top of my list for uh, must go to are Jingu for the classic. And then I want to get up to uh, Sendai to see a game there because I've heard good things about their park, which they completely renewed uh, in the early 2000s. Yeah, that's a fun one. It's that's like when we go on our tours, a lot of the, the American fans kind of feel like that is the closest to what they associate like their version of live baseball, just kind of with the other attractions they have in the ballpark, which some people like, some people don't, but you know, I, I, I give them credit for kind of taking a different approach to live baseball. Like their game day experience is, is different than most I'd say in all of NPD. Right. Okay. Last question for you. Um, do you have a favorite uh, NPB player now? So not a Japanese guy that's in the majors, but a favorite NPB uh, player. Uh, I'll go with Yanagita, um, who I mentioned earlier. I mean, I just, I, I love his swing. <laughs> like he yeah. like comes out of his shoes and I love his flash. Um, and he's just like such an athlete. Um, I love that he's done it for the national team. Um, so yeah, I go with him. Okay. Quick he's won a lot too. So that, that's another big plus, you know, I respect that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, just a quick plug back for my team. Um, Yanagita is I think 32 or 33. He's coming up on like his decline, I would guess. Uh, but the next, I guess, like closest version of him and young players is our, uh, Teruaki Sato. So keep your eye out on him. Number eight. Um, yeah. he's got a wicked swing and incredible amount of power. He's got decent speed. And, uh, I think he could be representing Japan on the national team as well. So, yeah, I love his swing too. Like, I love guys who just swing for defenses and just have like that powerful, but also like fluid and flexible swing. He just needs, like, he's not a three outcome guy. He's a two outcome guy. Like he, <laughs> now, like, yes, it's Actually, okay if you strike he's... out. He's been a bit better this year, though. I'll tell you. Yeah, so okay. far this year, his strikeouts have come down, and uh, his uh, he's actually walked a few more times, and uh, definitely getting more wood on the ball. Um, yeah, Murakami might be another that falls into that category as well uh, for the Swallows. So you know, if you go to Jingu, that's the guy that's going to hit the ball out of the park. He's got a great swing, and he he definitely represents Japan well. A very young guy as well. So. A lot of excitement in Japan with uh, baseball here. Shane, I'm glad that we were able to have this talk. And uh, I just want to thank you uh, for your patronage as well. I mean, it's it's for pe- because of people like you that we're able to keep the podcast and keep things going. So I appreciate that and appreciate your time today. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm, I'm happy to support. Uh, I'm grateful for your help with us, with the newsletters and everything, and, and kind of uh, being our on-the-ground NPB uh, expert along with Michael Westbeg. I'll give Michael props for that. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for, uh, doing what you're doing and spreading the good word about Japanese baseball in the English language. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. So this is H10 where you're getting all your Hanshin Tigers news. Go to Japan ball. If you want, actually it's, it's more than just tours because like Shane just said, there's a weekly newsletter. It goes up on the website, japanball.com has got a wealth of information about Japanese baseball in English. So go check them out. Um, you can also get tickets for games via Japan ball. Is it japanballtickets.com? Yes, correct. There you go. Japanballtickets.com. We're going to put these uh, links in the show notes so you can check that out. But um, definitely a great place to go, not only for Japanese baseball, but for building up baseball fan community bases. Um, both with NPB, but also with Dominican baseball and possibly even Europe. Is that right? 
yeah, we're going to the Netherlands in July and we'll actually see the Japanese national collegiate national team playing um, in the Netherlands. So uh, there you go. So super exciting. So go check that out as well. You'll find that information on the Japan ball website. And uh, once again, Shane, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, Trevor. I just want to thank my guest on this episode, Shane Barclay, once again, for the awesome time that we had talking together. Now, as you may have heard, we did this recording in April. So we were talking about the, at that time, recent Roki Sasaki perfect game and other things like that. Well, Shane has got a definite passion for baseball, but one of the other things to me that stands out about Shane is that he's got a real passion for people. And I've been with Japan Ball since 2017. I got to know Bob Bavesi first, and I feel like Shane, although his personality might be different from Bob's, they both have that same quality about them, that they really care about people. They want to provide quality service for those that uh, become part of the Japan Ball community. And so I just really appreciate the time that he spent with me. I appreciate um, his generosity with his time and just his willingness to spread this awesome game of Japanese baseball. And so, if you are interested in doing a tour of Japan and taking in a whole bunch of awesome Japanese baseball games, keep in mind that every summer, well, outside of the pandemic, we've been doing tours of Japan in which you can go to all 12 stadiums. And if you join the tour in 2023, you will be able to check out the new stadium of the Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighters on that tour, which would be just awesome fun for yourself and for everyone else that is there as well, including Shane, you would get to meet him. And who knows, you might even get to meet some players or some other really important people within the game of baseball. So check out Japan Ball. Uh, the link is in the show notes and you will also find all sorts of other stuff that you can do to get involved with Japan Ball in the show notes, including joining the Facebook group. And I might even, well, I will link the YouTube channel which has archives to some of their chatter-ups that they did during the pandemic, which were outstanding. Just talked to some really cool baseball people, uh, especially people with experience in Japanese baseball. So once again, thank you so much. We will be back with another episode of H10 featuring another interview with another awesome person real soon. So stay tuned and let's go Tigers this offseason.